Jonah is perplexing to some scholars, not to me. Um, there are different ways to interpret Jonah. Some see Jonah as symbolism, Israel's prejudice against the Gentiles. You can say that. That may not be actually the whole part of Jonah. Some see it allegorically. Jonah represents disobedience. The well represents sin. All of these different aspects um, of ways that, and when we come to the New Testament, we do find that Paul says, allegorically speaking, the two women, Hagar and Sarah, represent two distinct covenants. In that case, Paul was using an allegory to explain a spiritual condition or a spiritual situation. But this is what I believe Jonah is. I believe Jonah is a historical account, a real story about a wayward prophet. The whale was real. Every event that took place in the book of Jonah was real. We don't need to spiritualize it. We don't need to symbolize it, allegorize it, and however ever many uh, ways that people try to see the book of Jonah. I believe Jonah was a real person. I believe that Jonah uh, was disobedient to God, and I believe everything that unfolds in the book of Jonah was real. And that's how I come at this. Uh, I, 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 I think you can get into trouble when you use symbolism and allegory uh, when it's not specifically stated. So I treat this as a narrative that is historical. Now, the background of Jonah, Jonah's name means dove. He was from Gath Heifer, tribe of Zebulun. Um, so that right there will tell you that Jonah was a real person. He did not write this hindsight. Uh, it was written by Jonah. Jeroboam II was the king of the northern kingdom during this time. And what's fascinating, I put 2 Kings 14.25 up there. Jonah had predicted that Jeroboam II's reign would expand, which it did. So what that means is Jonah was a validated prophet. And in the, New, in the Old Testament, Jonah falls under what is called the minor prophets. There are many of those, and then there's, of course, major prophets. But Jonah had prophesied under the reign of Jeroboam II that his ministry and his kingdom would expand, and it did. A third thing that we learn from the book of Jonah, because Jeroboam II was king, his, his reign was from 793 to 753. So sometime in this area is when Jonah uh, would have penned this book, this little letter. Now, the most important thing in the book is the message of Jonah. God cares for the Gentiles and rebukes the northern kingdom. You see, the Israelites did not like Gentiles. And more to the point, did not like Nineveh. And we'll, as, we un, as we unfold this, you'll understand how this comes about. But what we do learn from Jonah is this. When we run from God, and Jonah is given a commission here. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And the word uh, Amittai was his father. Not much is known about him. His name means truth. The word of the Lord, Deval, which is what is communicated. Today, we don't hear 
a verbal call from God. Michael, I want you to go to Sidorus, and I want you to pray. You don't hear that. You don't hear that. However, sometimes specifically, you can hear the word of God. I remember distinctively my call to ministry was through a dream that I had, and that angelic being told me, Jesus, cut your roots, go preach the gospel. That is why I'm standing here before you today. That dream was so real. Of course, there were other events leading up to that moment, but I do believe that I heard the voice of God in that dream, so much so that I abandoned a 12-year military career to follow God into the ministry based on that culmination everything that had gone before that and that moment I woke up screaming I told my wife I have to go into the ministry God has called me I believe that that was a direct voice call from God but we do hear from God in fact whoever is of God hears the words of God the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not from God John says so in some sense, the people of God do hear the voice of God. Now, the question is, how do we hear God's voice? Well, we hear it through prayer. How many of you have ever prayed and you've actually heard the, the words from God or God confirming something in your life? You read the Bible, you get, the, you get well, this is, when you read this Bible, and it's open to Jonah right now, we can actually hear what God wants to say to us. So in this sense, we hear the voice of God. There are many ways that we hear the voice of God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, go here or do that. It's, it's something that happens internally. But here, when he says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he did do Jonah. It was so Jonah wasn't like, okay, I, I'm not really sure what you want me to do. I'm not really sure that this is your voice. Yes, it was. It was a direct communication, exactly what was said. J.H. Kennedy in his commentary says this, the essence of the divine privilege, purpose, and prerogative to speak to man, so bringing him into voluntary and intelligent participation in the divine plan for his life and for the peoples of the world in which he lives. God can speak to any of us, and he can do it however he wants. And you know, there's been times that God has spoken to me through things that I wouldn't consider religious. But I knew it was God's voice. Now notice what he says to Jonah. Saying, arise, this is verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Arise is the Hebrew word for kuvav mim. Kuvav mim. Halak is the word for Go. What God is telling Jonah is this. Stand up and travel. It's exactly what these words mean. Stand up and travel. God had already given him a commission. I want you to go to Nineveh. So I want you, Jonah, to stand up and I want you to go the direction that I told you. It was unmistakable. And you know, when, when we come to the New Testament, we, we, we find 
Jesus called out to them, Come to me and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and at once followed him. What God is saying here is an immediate response to something that he just said. Jonah was not supposed to stand up and debate it and think about it and go, Well, you know, I, I could do this or I could do that. No, God was saying, I want you to stand up right now, right here, and I want you to start going to Nineveh. It was an immediate call. It, you know, sometimes in our, in our lives, and I think sometimes in our lives, we know God is speaking to us, but we don't want to do it. Isn't that right? Sometimes we know the voice of God, and we go, yeah, but Jonah's going to do a big deal here. He's going to do a big deal. It's amazing how Jonah responds to this. So he says, stand up and travel to Nineveh, that great city. Here's the Tigris River. You can see that Nineveh is right here. You have Mesopotamia here, the river Euphrates. And so Nineveh is right in this location. This might might surprise you uh, that Nineveh, the walls are still there. And they are rebuilding. They are rebuilding Nineveh. This is the entrance, possibly, that Jonah would have seen when he went into the city. So when he says here that Nineveh was a great city, he's not talking about it's a wonderful place to be. He's talking about population-wise, it was a great city. It was a big city. It was a big place. So Jonah was going to have a huge audience. He was going to have a big audience. And so God says, Jonah, I want you to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it. Jonah's like, whoa. Yeah, Lord. By the way, Lord, do you know that that's in the Assyrian country? Don't you know the Assyrians are brutal? Not only that, God says, not only do I want you to go to that great city, but I want you to call out against it. That means in the Hebrew language here, to call out against something means to announce impending judgment. So here you have Jonah, uh, just a uh, prophet by himself, now is called to go into enemy territory, and he is to preach a message of judgment. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Right? I remember years ago, in my first church, great, great people. Uh, And they loved me a lot. One Sunday morning, I got up and I preached. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I preached a very difficult sermon that Sunday morning. In fact, being a new pastor and, and trying to follow the ways of God, I worried that maybe the sermon might be too hard. Well, the next morning, Sunday morning, I got up and I said, you know what? The people love me. They know, they know my heart. And I preached that sermon with as much passion as I could possibly preach. The deacons that evening called for a meeting. 
one of the deacons, the other deacon supported me, one of the deacons said, I did not appreciate the way you used the pulpit this Sunday. And I said, how else can you say love not the world or the things in the world? It's the only time in almost 29 years of ministry that I've ever been accused of misusing the pulpit. Why? It was a tough message. I'm surprised another church didn't get on me when I preached a highway to hell. That was a tough message too. Jonah has a tough message here. This message is not going to be popular by any stretch of the imagination. And then it says, for their evil, God says, for their evil has come up before me. I like how some scholars translate this. Um, As the stench of sin has come up before me. This was not really a good place. Not really one of the best places that you could go to. Other commentaries, which I kind of agree with, although I like that stench, because sin does stink, and it's an offensive aroma to God. Um, But the other way to interpret this is that it is in full view of God. God sees the sin. I like what Smith and Page says. Many people in the world today ignore God and assume that he ignores them. Many people believe that God set the world into motion and allows it to continue along unnoticed. This text portrays God as one who notices and as a God who is active and as a God who takes sin seriously. That's still in force. God still takes sin seriously, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us, to pay for our sins in full. So Jonah has this big task. Let's see how the man of God, the prophet of God, handles it. Oh, yeah, with disobedience. (laughs) Woo. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. When you study this and you dig down deep into these words, it is mind-boggling. I want to give you the meaning of these words, and then I'm going to lay it out there for you. The word flee. Barah means to escape, to escape from the pane of God. The word pane means the face of God. Jonah was escaping the face of God. This is a prophet of God, one who had known God, one who obviously had a personal relationship with him for him to say, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh and preach. And now Jonah, the prophet who had prophesied Jeroboam II's reign would expand, and it did. And this is the prophet that God calls, and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah decides, no, I'm going to flee to Tarshish from the face of God. This is, this is, when you crawl through here, this is mind-boggling. Dr. Windsor, in Bible college one day, Dr. Windsor in Bible college one day said to us this morning, we're going to talk about our calls to ministry. And I remember, of course, with 30 people in the class, you didn't do it all in one sitting. One man in his 50s 
raised his hand and Dr. Windsor called on him. And immediately the man began to break down. He said, through his tears and his voice fluctuating, he said, God had called me 20 years ago, but I have run from that call. He said money was more important than the call of God. And he said, I've got all this money, but there's this nagging, nagging call of God on my life. And he said that Sunday morning, he walked the aisle of his church and he laid down on the altar and he said, God, I am yours. And he said, that's why I'm here today. And we hugged him. We we all got around him. We laid hands on him. We prayed for him. He did not think that God had forgiven him from not following him. And we assured him that day that you have repented. God forgives you. You no longer need to carry this anymore. And yet we find the prophet Jonah running from the face of God. So Jonah, verse 3, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the, from the pane, the face of God. That is staggering. What does this look like practically for us? Let, let's, let's get a picture of what this means. Jonah goes down to Joppa. He catches a ship. From Joppa to Nineveh, it's 550 miles. From Joppa to Tarshish, it's 2,500 miles. Jonah was trying to get as far away as he could from God. As far as he could. By the way, this is southwest Spain. Why did Jonah run from God? Let me give you four reasons. Number one, fear. He was going into the Assyrian countryside. Ishtar was the goddess of love and war. So bad was this God that I can't even put a picture of this goddess up on this screen. Yeah. God, you want me to go to Nineveh and do what? Do you know that they do not like me? These people, and by the way, the Assyrians were brutal. They were brutal to captives. If you go on... You go on and, and you look at the Assyrian pictures of the depictions of stabbing slaves and stabbing and killing people, beheading them, all kinds of atrocities. And so, yeah, Jonah might have been afraid. I get it. I get it. Sometimes we let fear dictate what we do too, right? Maybe Jonah was afraid of ridicule. What do you mean God's going to bring judgment on us? Who are you to preach? Maybe Jonah was afraid of the message. 
We're not told the message here. We know later it deals with judgment. Maybe Jonah was afraid to preach. The prophet of God who had a personal relationship with Yahweh is now running from his very face. Can you, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. I, I don't know if I could run away from the face of God. That's, that's a lot. But so Jonah may have been, and I got to get out of here. Tough call. Tough call. Or it could have been, which I think, is that Jonah no, one, no longer wanted to serve God. I like what James Smith says, to stand in Yahweh's presence means to serve him. He's right. The language is derived from the custom that servants always stood in the presence of seated royalty. Thus, the text intends to relate that Jonah was resigning his prophetic office. He no longer wished to serve as God's messenger. I quit, God. In fact, I'm going to go as far away as I can to quit. Well, how did that work out? By the way, when we run from God, there will always be consequences. There will always be consequences. Notice here, but the Lord the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break apart. But the Lord, Jonah had already paid his fare. He had gotten on the ship and he went down into the belly of the ship to escape the face of God. Okay, Jonah, <laughs> good luck with that, right? And good luck to us when we try to run from God and hide from him. The Lord's eyes are over the righteous. He sees us. He knows us. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea that there was a mighty tempest and the, sh and the ship threatened to break up. The word uh, uh, hurled is the word for throwing with force. I don't know if you guys, gals are familiar with baseball. Um, let me get Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks pitches for the St. Louis Cardinals. You know this year he's already hit 105 miles an hour on the radar gun. Do you know what it's like to try to hit 105 mile an hour baseball? Most, most batters cannot catch up to 100 miles an hour. And it would be quite ominous to stand there. You're standing there like that and the ball's in the catcher's mitt. That's how fast it is. You, might have to, you probably have to swing as soon as he releases it so that your back can catch up to it. That is throwing with some serious force. There aren't too many major league players that can hit a 105-mile-an-hour fastball. It is darn near impossible. So when you're up there against Jordan Hicks, you just stand there. Hope he misses the strike zone, but hope he don't hit you. That's the, that's the thing. It does mean to throw with force, but it also means something else. It was used of spear throwing, 
when you would take a spear and you would throw it at a target. The same word is used of Saul when he threw a spear at King David to try to kill him. God is throwing this with great force and great accuracy towards a target. And guess who the target was? The guy that was down in the bottom of the ship. Okay, if I was betting on this, I would say God's going to win this one. Right? God is the one that created the universe. The seas belong to him. The wind belongs to him. And he is aiming at Jonah. And this great wind came up on top of, up on top of the ship. And the ship was threatening to break up. It was doing this. And this was a, a huge issue. What was happening is God was disciplining Jonah. Here's this ship tossing to and fro. Jonah's on the inside. And you know these experienced sailors, they're freaking out. They know this is not normal. He tells us. And this ship is ready to come, un come undone. God knows what he's doing. He knows where to find you. He knows where to find me. We don't run from God. We don't get away from stuff. God finds us. Uh, there's many passages. Be sure that your sin will find you out. God knows where you are. He is on top of it. You cannot run from God. You cannot run from his face. You cannot run from him because he knows where you live. He has your address 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He has my address 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We cannot get away from it. Hebrews 12, 11 is a good verse. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. <laughs> How many of you love discipline? No, I know you don't. I don't either. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Doesn't discipline hurt when you've messed up, you've made a mistake, and God disciplines you? Boy, it does hurt. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Jonah's in the training system right now. God has said, look at that little prophet. I told him to go to Nineveh, and he gets on a ship. Okay. <laughs> no, you're not going to do it that easy, Jonah. And Jonah knew this. Come on. He had to have known that he could not run from God. Here's, here's the big issue. Sometimes our actions affect others. That's true. Sometimes something that we do will affect others, and maybe multiple others. Then the mariners were afraid. Listen to this. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his own God. Have you ever noticed when there is a devastating or turbulent period, there are no atheists? People make promises. I've, I've heard it. <clears throat> Smith and Page, again, is correct here. Apparently, this was an international polyistic crew. <laughs> they each had a multitude of gods, and they said, do whatever you got to do. 
because I think we're in trouble. Call on your gods. We're messed up. This is bad. This, they have not seen this before. But this is also interesting. These sailors had experienced storms before. So why did this storm evoke, invoke a religious response? Perhaps there was a vague, uneasy feeling or recognition of the suddenness of this storm that involved divine intervention. Yeah. These different multi-religion people on this ship, sailor on the ships, on the ship, were calling out to their God. You remember that, uh, remember that word arise. Remember that word arise. I want you to remember that. It's not the only thing I want you to take away, but from today. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. A lighter ship, less likely to sink. When you throw cargo off the side of a ship, what are you doing? You are throwing money away. The sailors were throwing revenue off the ship. Yes, they needed to lighten it. They were going to lose money, and they were going to lose money from the people that probably ordered that cargo, that maybe had an investment in that. They were throwing cargo off that ship to lighten it so that they wouldn't be sunk. All because Jonah chose to run from the face of God. You know, it makes me wonder how many times our actions, our actions hurt other people in the process. Did here? Jonah running from God? <laughs> then it, here's our hero. Here's our hero. The good news is it gets, it gets better for Jonah in a way. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. These words, fast asleep, were the same words that used in Genesis 2.21 when God caused Adam to go into a deep sleep where he performed surgery on Adam. Jonah was out. There was a storm last night. I didn't hear it. I was out. Maybe not this <laughs> type of storm, but Jonah is asleep. Here is our, the men throwing stuff off the ship. And here's Jonah crashed out. Dead to the world. One commentary said not only dead to the world, but dead to God. I think that's a, that's a good point. He, he had just said, nope, I'm done. I'm going. I'm running. I'm leaving. You could push this too far, but maybe this is a spiritual issue with Jonah. We come to the New Testament, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive through Christ. Listen to this. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? 
arise. Hey, wait a minute. Jonah's heard that word before. Stand up. Call out to your God. <laughs> Ooh, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. So now, I think God, through the captain, is repeating the words that he told Jonah early on. Arise, go. Now he's saying, arise, and call on the God that you're running from. You think you need to escape, but now you really need to escape. God found Jonah. Arise. I caught that right away. I was like, wow. Arise. Verse 2, go to Nineveh. And now the captain is repeating the words that God told him initially to start with. And it was through a guy that was lost. Because the captain, apparently these other gods had failed. The ship was still doing this. And now he says, arise, Jonah. Call on the God that you are running from, basically. That's tough. Now, I have to leave the narrative there, so see, you have to come back next week to get the rest of this. But I will say this. Number one, let me ask you a personal question this morning. Is God calling you to do something? Is God calling you to do something? If you think God is calling you to do something, do not pull a Jonah. It's never a good thing to be Jonah, at least in chapter 1. It's always better to obey God first. That's number two. Number one is God calling you something, calling you to do something. Number two, it's always better to obey God. Number three, our actions can affect others.